on heaven and earth that we could possibly deserve what you have given to us. Your love, your kindness, your mercy, your forgiveness, your acceptance, only by grace. Thank you for saving grace. Thank you for living grace. We know that each one of us one day will face the day of our death. We thank you for dying grace. We thank you for eternal grace that guarantees our place with you in heaven for eternity. Thank you for your great grace and for finding us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, folks. You can have a seat. Well, we're making our way through the Bible, (laughs) making our way through the whole thing, starting at the beginning in Genesis several weeks ago, and we're going to go all the way through to Revelation one week at a time. We find ourselves in 2 Samuel this morning, and as I was reading through and thinking about what passage I wanted to share with you, I was thinking about... What I was reading and I was thinking about what's happening in our country today and in our world. And I decided to do a little Google search. And you know, a quick tour down through the annals of human history shows a a universal truth about human government. And you know what it is? Human government does not last. Governments come and go. Regimes, royalties, they come and go. In the country of Brazil alone, Brazil sticks out in my mind because I've been there with Dave a few times, and so I always look for Brazil when I'm on a list of countries. In the last 130 years, there have been 15 either governmental coups or attempted coups. In the past 130 years, 15 times. The government of Brazil has either been overturned or it's been threatened. In Afghanistan, it's happened 10 times in the last 100 years. In the Congo, four times in just the last 50 years, the government has been overthrown. In Haiti, 27 times. In the Philippines, over 30 times. Even in a, see my air quotes now, civilized country like France, It's happened 15 times in the last 200 years that a government has been violently or suddenly ripped out of control or it has been at least attempted. See, political and societal and cultural unrest is a common theme throughout every nation, all through human civilization, all through history. And I'm saying that to you this morning because when we see what's happening in our country, It seems unprecedented, but I want to suggest to you this morning that not only is it not unprecedented, it is in fact inevitable. It's inevitable. We have enjoyed great stability and freedom here in our country for a very long time, and as a result, we have grown very comfortable. And so what we see around us is very shocking, and in fact, At times, it's terrifying. 
And I believe that God has providentially brought us to the books of First and Second Samuel at just the right time. Last week we saw in First Samuel that Jesus Christ must be king. Remember the people of Israel, they wanted another king. They didn't want God. They didn't want Jesus. No, we want our own king. We want a human king just like everybody else. And we saw in Israel's struggle to let God be king, we saw our own struggle, didn't we? Our own struggle to make God, to make Jesus Christ the king of our hearts and lives. This week in 2 Samuel 7, we're going to see that God makes a promise to King David. But as we do that, I want you to see, just like we did last week, just like I trust that we have done every week for the last 16 or 18 years, and I trust that we will do every week from now until the time that Christ returns here at Moss Brook, is that we will see that God's Word does not just tell us a story about what happened hundreds of years ago, but it's telling us something about today. It's telling us something about our lives. And I want you to see that this morning in, in 2 Samuel 7. This is not just about Israel. This is not just about history. This is about our salvation. It's about our future, and it's about our eternity. And I don't think I'm overstating it. When we get into this passage, I hope you will see it, that this is actually about the future of the entire world. Because Jesus Christ ought not to just be the king of your heart, and my heart, but Jesus Christ will be the eternal king over all the world. That is his destiny as king over the entire world. So last week we said Israel wanted a king. We saw that. Samuel warned them, this is not a good idea, guys. Please don't do it. It's going to cause you all kinds of grief all kinds of heartache. He's going to take your sons and daughters. He's going to enslave them. He's going to take your resources. It's going to affect everything about your life and your family. But God allowed them to have what they wanted. You remember at the end of the last, the passage that we read last week, God said to Samuel, Samuel, warn them and then give them what they want. Sometimes God allows us to have what our human hearts desire, and that's not a good place to be because our human hearts are evil. That's what the Scripture tells us. But God allowed them to have what they wanted, and everything that He warned them about came true. Samuel, by God's decree, anointed Saul. Saul became the king of Israel. He was on the right track for a little while. He said he loved God. He said he wanted to do the right thing. And he did that for a few years. And then all of a sudden, he blew it up. He walked away from God. He did whatever he wanted to do. He did evil things. He led the nation of Israel into evil and into bondage and disaster and war and conflict and idolatry. After Saul, David becomes king. And David, we find is a man after God's own heart. And David leads Israel through the wars, through the conflict, out of the bondage, into peace and safety. And for the first time in Israel's history, as a nation, they have peace. And really, for the first time in David's life, if we were going to 
read all of the book of 2 Samuel and in the, the end of 1 Samuel and David is mentioned, if we were to read all about David's life, we would see his whole life was conflict and turmoil. And finally, David is at peace in his life. And so David sits down. He is at rest from the war. He is at rest from conflict. He is surveying the kingdom that God has blessed him with. And he says, it's not right. It's not right that I'm here at rest and God does not have a home. You see, they were still worshiping God in a temporary fashion. For decades, for centuries, they had used the tabernacle, which was really a, a well, a literally a glorified tent that they packed up and moved when they moved. They had these things at different places for hundreds and hundreds of years. And David says, I want to build God a place of worship. And he has been faithful. And so David talks to Nathan. Nathan is a prophet that is a friend of David's and an advisor, a counselor. David says to Nathan, I want to build a temple. I want to build a place of worship for God. And initially, Nathan says, go ahead. You're walking with God. You're doing everything that's right. He's blessing you. Go ahead and build a place of worship. But when David and Nathan part company, Nathan goes home that night, and God comes to him and gives Nathan a message. A message is very different from what Nathan had initially thought God says, Nathan, I want you to give this message to David. And so what we're going to read is God's message to Nathan to be passed along to David. And God flips the narrative here, and this is key. David, I know you want to build me a house, but I want you to understand that I, in fact, am going to build you a house. The reason why this is so important, folks, is this. This is not about what David is going to do for God. This is about what God is going to do for David. This is about what God is doing and what God is promising. And what I want you to see over the next few minutes as we look at this passage is that for the nation of Israel, for our personal salvation, for the true New Testament church, for the eternal kingdom of God, These things are not established by the efforts of humanity, but by the will and the power and the purpose of God. What God is going to promise David in this passage is going to impact the entire world for all of eternity. It's called the Davidic Covenant. Let me read you a few verses from 2 Samuel 7, verse 8. Now, therefore, this is God speaking to Nathan, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. Now, we're going to read nine verses of God speaking to Nathan to tell this to David. And in nine verses, God is going to say, I, me, my, 22 times. In nine verses, say, Mike, that's fascinating. Why does that matter? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because God is drawing the attention to himself, to what he is doing, to what he has done in the past, to what he is going to do for David right then, and what he is going to do for all of us in the future. There's nothing wrong with David desiring 
to build a temple, a place of worship. But he wanted David to stop thinking about what he could do and start thinking about what God would do. So he draws the attention to himself. David, I'm the one that took you out of the sheep pasture. So you need to understand something about David. If you don't know anything about David, you need to know this. David did not come from a royal line. David did not grow up with a silver spoon in his mouth. He didn't grow up and be handed the throne of Israel. No, David was a shepherd. He was a shepherd. And in fact, his father had eight sons, and David was the youngest. Now, you need to know something about this Eastern, ancient Eastern culture. Now, think about your family, if either in your immediate family or you grew up in a family where there are multiple children. Who grew up in a family or has a family of their own where you have multiple children? Two, three, four, if you like Dave, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, how many ever you got, okay? Or you have that many siblings. Now think and think about the youngest. And how do we look at the youngest in our culture? Oh, what do we always say? Oh, he's the, she's the, what? Baby. Oh, it's the baby. Right? The youngest is the baby. And we tend to protect it. Now, some of you are there here, and you're the youngest, and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude, but that was not my experience. <laughs> but in a lot of families, we do that, right? Oh, that's the baby. He's the youngest. Of course, we love our children. We love all of them, but the baby. And we protect the baby. We take care of the baby. We make sure the older ones don't pick on the baby. I want, to, I want you to know something about this ancient Eastern culture. Talk about flipping the script. Flip it. Because in that culture, the eldest was the most important. And the further you went down the line the less likely anything was going to trickle down to you. <laughs> Except, you know, what's left over. I'll let you use your imagination. David was the eighth. He was the youngest. He had seven brothers. And so this is what would happen. David's father's name was Jesse. Everything that Jesse owned, everything that he had, everything that he had accomplished would go to his eldest son. If something happened to that eldest son, it would go to the second son. If something happened to that second son, it would go to the third son. David was number eight. He had no shot. So he was the kid that was out on the back 40 sitting on a rock, baking in the sun, taking care of sheep. What does God say to David? David, I was the one who took you from the pasture and put you on the throne. I did that, God says. What is that? That's grace. We've been talking a lot about grace today. I took you from the pasture and put you on the throne. Verse 9. And I have been with you wherever you have, have gone, and have cut off all your enemies before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. 
Now really test your memory here this morning. Ten weeks ago, 11 weeks ago when we started this, Tim took us to Genesis chapter 12 and we looked at what we call the Abrahamic covenant, God's covenant with Abraham, his promises to Abraham. This sounds very similar, doesn't it? Because what did God say to Abraham? Abraham, I will give you a great name. And God has done that for Abraham and David. Even today, in the nation of Israel, who are the two most commonly named people in the thousands and thousands of years of Israel's history? Abraham and David. Jews still call Abraham Father Abraham. He was the beginning of our family, the beginning of our nation, and King David. Verse 10, And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly. And I will give you, uh, from the time I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. So he promises Israel their own place. He says, I will plant you there. I will establish you so that you will be disturbed no more. Now, even a rudimentary knowledge of the Middle East will tell us what? That hasn't happened, has it? Israel is being disturbed right now. They have been for hundreds of years. This hasn't happened yet, but God has promised it. And from violent men and rest from your enemies, God will give the nation of Israel rest. And he has promised that for us too. He's promised us an eternal home. And he's preparing it for us as we speak. We read those verses in John 14. In my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm preparing them for you right now. And if I leave, I'm going to come back and I'll take you so that you can be there with me also for all of eternity. Last week, we talked about the turmoil in the world. And we said, are we going to stand for truth? We need to understand that it is entirely possible that it will get very difficult for us in the coming days. I know you are like me. You're looking at everything that's happening. You're looking at the potential of some of our freedoms being eroded. And you're saying, man, I can't wait what? I can't wait till this is over. I don't know. I can't promise you that that's going to happen. It's very possible that it could get more difficult for us in the coming days. But when Jesus is king of our hearts, like we talked about last week, he gives us strength and grace for these days, for the struggle, for the pain, for the strength to keep going. But one day, one day we will have rest. That's God's promise to us. One day truth and right and justice will prevail on this earth. How many times in the last couple of months have you seen something that's going on, you've read something, and you've said, oh man, I just wish for justice. I wish the right thing would be done to take care of that situation. Well, one day that will happen. God promises that. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Again, a parallel with the Abrahamic covenant. God promised Abraham an heir to establish the family. He did that. He gave him Isaac. And now here, David, God promises David an heir who would be Solomon to establish his kingdom. God says, I will do it. Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, 
he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. So David's son, David says, I want to build a, a house for you, God. And God says, no, I don't want you to do that. Your son is going to do that. And Solomon did. He did build a temple. And God says, I will establish his kingdom forever. David, you're going to have a son. And that son's throne is going to last forever. Now, tell me this. Did Solomon live forever? No, of course not. Solomon lived for a few years and then he died, like everyone else in the history of the world. So who is God talking about here? You need to understand that this is a prophecy. This is God telling something that is going to take place far in the future. In Galatians six, uh, 3, rather, Paul said, The promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. When God gives David this promise, he's not just talking about Solomon. He's talking about Jesus. Because Solomon would, yes, be king. Yes, he would reign. Yes, he would live. But he would also die. He's talking about Jesus. Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a son, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of them was Judah. If you you trace that lineage through from Judah, you will get to Ruth and Obed that Tim talked about a few weeks ago in the book of Ruth. Or not, uh, sorry, Boaz. Boaz and Ruth. Boaz was from that line from Judah. Boaz and Ruth had a son. His name was Obed. Obed had a son. His name was Jesse. Jesse had a son. His name was David. And if you trace David's line all the way up through, and you go to Matthew chapter 1, you will find that it goes all the way through to Jesus Christ. This is a prophecy. Your throne will last forever through Jesus Christ. Now, why did God choose Abraham? Why did he choose Isaac? Why did he choose Jacob, Judah, Ruth, David? One reason, his sovereign grace. That's why he chose those people. David was a man after God's own heart, and he fought God's battles. But that was the result of God's grace in his life. It wasn't the cause of God's grace. God didn't look down and see David fighting his battles and say, look at that guy, he's being faithful fighting my battles, I'm going to give him grace. No, he didn't do that. He gave David grace. And as a result of God's grace, he fought God's battles. This is very important for us to think about. It's important for us to understand that salvation and blessing are God's to choose, they're God's to give, and God's to accomplish. Grace is the opposite of earning. We don't earn these things. They are simply given to us. David did not earn this. They were simply given to him. Verse 15. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. God says, I'll be faithful to do it. I'm going to do it no matter what. No matter what Solomon does or doesn't do, I'm going to keep this promise. And by the way, that did happen because there were some things Solomon did do that were good and some things he didn't do. There were some things he did do that were evil some things he didn't do. But it did happen. God continued the kingdom. He continued the throne. 
despite Solomon's unfaithfulness. God did punish him. He did chasten him, but he still kept his promise. Why is that important for us to know? It's important because one of the things we're seeing as we go through God's word is we're seeing God reveal his character. We're seeing here that not only is God a covenant-making God, but he is a covenant-keeping God. His word stands forever. It never changes. This covenant did not rest on David's faithfulness. It rested on the sovereign purpose of God's gracious will. Verse 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, Your throne shall be established forever. Again, the promise goes from David to Solomon to Jesus. If we wanted to, we could see tons of verses throughout the New Testament that talk about Jesus Christ as the king over all the earth. And that's how we're going to see Jesus in the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel. Jesus Christ is the eternal king over all the world. God's plan of grace has never called for us to build him a house. I know around here at Moss Brook, we talk a lot about having our own permanent home. And on a day like this, with a thermometer like this, we'd like to have that with central air, please. We talk about it. We want to build a church. We want a building. We want our own place to come and worship. But God's plan has never been about us building him a house. It's always about him building a salvation home for us. And of course, he does use us in the building of that house. He does use us in the building of the kingdom. But I want you to just note these three things as we close this morning, friends. Because this affects today and tomorrow and the rest of your life. I want you to notice these three things and remember them. Number one. Jesus Christ is the one who secures all of the covenants between God and men. Jesus Christ is the one who does it. You don't do it. You can't keep your promises. You're not good at it. Neither am I. But Jesus Christ secures all of these agreements between God and men. 2 Corinthians 1 says that all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Secondly, Jesus Christ is the one who secures your salvation. You don't secure it. Isn't it a good thing that your salvation does not depend on how faithful you are? I know it's a good thing mine doesn't. Jesus said in John 6, I will raise them up on the last day. The ones that God gives to me, I will raise them up. And thirdly, Jesus Christ is the one who secures a glorious future for us. What does Jesus say in John 14? He said, I am going, I am preparing the place, I will come again, and I will take you. Jesus Christ secures it. This promise is for all of us. The throne of Jesus Christ will last forever, and you and I will be a part of that kingdom. Why? Because of our faithfulness? No. Because of God's sovereign grace and the purpose of His will. Would you stand with us this morning? We're going to sing as we close and praise the Lord for His grace together. We praise you this morning for all you have done for us. 
We thank you for the promises of life, salvation, and eternity. And we thank you that they are secured by Jesus Christ. As we go from here, Lord, we, we do not presume to earn your grace, but we do want to serve you as a result of your grace. Grace is, is the opposite of earning, but it's not the opposite of effort. We still, we desire to live for you. We desire to strive and to fight and to do the things that you have called us to do by your strength and in your power. Thank you for each one gathered. Add your blessing. I pray that we will go out from this place into this community, that we will filter out into our neighborhoods and our streets and our homes and be lights in this world. For your glory, in Christ's name, amen.